Hey everyone, welcome back to Illuminate. If you're new, we are a podcast series from Hope Fellowship Church to inspire growth and encourage engagement in our community. My name is Nathan Beer and I'm the Connection and College Pastor here at Hope. And I'm Hannah Bowen. I'm the Worship Arts Coordinator at Hope. And today we're doing something a little different. We're shaking things up and wanted to share with you an article that we found, but do it podcast style. Rather than just tell you about it, we're going to read it to you. Got your own little mini audiobook here um, and probably add some of our own commentary on our thoughts on the article. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Today we're going to be reading an article called Six Ways Christians Can Be Wiser in Political Engagement. It's from the Gospel Coalition. It's a really informative article, and we just think it's something that's been really helpful for us and really informative for us, and so we wanted to uh, let you guys know about it as well. So we're just going to begin reading. It's by Dave Strunk and Case Thorpe, and so they go through a couple points that we can make six points, since that's the name of the article. And so it's just really informative, and so um, we're just excited to get to share it with you all today. So let's kind of dive into it. One, anticipate. We should anticipate a tough season ahead. In our churches, we see two opposing dangers. On one hand, there are members who want pastors to comment on political issues from the pulpit. And on the other hand, some pastors never speak about politics at all. Regardless of the particular course a church or Christian leader takes, Paul exhorted the Roman church amid their own political turmoil, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. To encourage this peace with others, anticipate and name this difficult political season, If even if there are no plans for you to specifically engage in that issue. Say things like, I know this is a difficult political season. I'd be happy to talk or pray with any of you if you have any questions or concerns about it. If we fail to acknowledge the elephant in the room, it allows Christians in Christ-centered fellowship to carry with them the divisions of the world and unspoken suspicions of one another. I don't know if you guys have ever had one of those thoughts in your head that you haven't been able to put into words and then someone else does and everything clicks into perspective. But that's what this first point of the article did for me, that there's this tension for us as Christians to either want to give in to that hyper-realistic version of reality that media presents, where even the smallest things can send us into a blind fury, or worse, the passive-aggressive Facebook comments, which I strongly believe are our modern-day rocks for public stoning, (laughs) or do a full 180 and ignore everything that's happening. But there's a healthy middle ground that exists where we can have the hard conversations that dig up the dirt, not just in one another's lives, but in the social systems and political structures that affect us and that we can name those issues and still love our neighbor unconditionally. And like Paul says in Romans, live peaceably with all that We can love the politician who has hurt or is hurting our community while still talking about the hurt that exists. I feel like with these conversations and naming issues, it brings up some really unchristlike attitudes for ourselves or the people around us, but we have the opportunity to then do something about that, to have productive shifts in our lives 
rather than letting all that dirt just settle back down to the bottom until the next national crisis comes along to just stir it all back up again. So moving on to point number two, which is transcend. The church already practices politics. The differentiating factor, says Augustine in the City of God, is that our polis, the kingdom of God, is of a higher realm. When a Christian confesses the Lord of the universe, who authors history, and that his name is Jesus, that Christian is practicing politics. We transcend our earthly politics when we declare with Isaiah that the nations are a drop in the bucket and a mere dust on the scale. Jesus is king, and the nations will come to naught at the end of time. To say so is a political statement. Further, to regularly take communion to honor our risen Lord, saying, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again, is to declare an eschatological judgment on all earthly politics. It is not an evasion of our earthly responsibilities to say there is a higher politics, a higher kingdom, and a higher political community than the temporal nation-state of America. To take seriously the language of the New Testament in Ephesians 2.19, which says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are a fellow citizen with the saints and the members of the household of God. Ephesians 3.6, which says, The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In Ephesians 3.5, which calls us all members of his body, we must see our membership in the universal and local church as higher political allegiance. I think one thing that this whole idea of transcend means is that it doesn't mean that we just sit back and let things go about. It doesn't mean that we don't have to vote or don't have to advocate for certain things or people. It just means that what we're doing is that we are always having that perspective that there is a higher government, a higher king, a higher kingdom that we are answering to. And I think when we are really coming to the polls and we're, we're coming to all of these political issues and these political conversations through that lens... I think it really impacts how we speak to people, how we advocate for certain things, and even what things we advocate for. The third is to be prudent. While a Christian's allegiance is in God's kingdom, we don't abandon the contingent political concerns in this life, the variables of which can make real differences in people's lives. Should a Christian advocate and vote for more or less money spent on national defense? What policies help prevent women from getting to that moment of choice in abortion? Where does environmental policy steward God's creation or compromise the mandate for humans to flourish? Evaluating these issues requires prudence. Prudence, according to Aquinas, is not simply right versus wrong decisions. Prudence is rooted in the practical decision-making of everyday life. One makes the wisest decision with the most knowledge available. Among other things, to exercise prudence is to determine which matters require silence and which require prophetic courage. And that idea that we as Christians struggle with the, the tension between our higher calling to a kingdom greater than that of this world while still having a, a call to engage with the world around us. It reminds me of this uh 
book I read uh, freshman year of college called The Passion of the Western Mind by Richard Tarnas. And in the book, at one point, he he brings up this really interesting pattern within church history that I tend to see today still after reading that, which is uh, we kind of have this overcorrection <laughs> tendency where the early church, um, after Christ uh, died, resurrected, ascended into heaven, were very focused on just getting to the kingdom of God, getting to that eternal life and neglecting what was happening on earth. And they needed correction to focus on, you know, the the issues happening around them and that they had a responsibility to go out into all the world um, and not just sit around and wait for Christ to come back. And I think we still have that same tension in our lives as Christians to, to not just sit around and wait for Jesus to come back, but to maintain that hope that that is what everything is ultimately driving to while still coming back and uh, paying attention to what's happening in the world around us and, and taking action in the world around us. Within this idea of be prudent, I think that a lot of times it can be difficult for us as Christians to even engage in these talks with how polarizing they can be or even just how argumentative those things can go. But I think the important thing for us to do is to not just or just just to never engage in them. I think just because something is hard doesn't mean that we don't ever engage with it. And I think with any political issue, I think we can tend to be so one-sided one way or the other, meaning that we can be so polarized uh, in the sense of either I'm going to be completely in politics, I'm going to be completely out of politics. And I think that the balance of those two are really hard to do, but are absolutely essential, especially because we have an allegiance to God's kingdom first. I think I like that beginning part of the first point in number three, to be prudent, when they write, a Christian's allegiance is in God's kingdom, and we don't abandon the contingent political concerns in this life. Or they say the variables of which can make real differences in people's lives. I think we have to understand that this comes down to something more than just affiliation with a party. This comes down to people's livelihoods, even if it doesn't necessarily affect us. Um, I, I had some really good conversations with a friend who is here. He's one of my best friends, and he and I have completely different political viewpoints. But I think one of the most beautiful things that happened in all of our conversations was that we were always talking about people's livelihood. We were never really talking about policies. I mean, yes, we were talking about policies, but for the most part, we were constantly bringing it back to what is this going to do for people? How are we loving people the best? How are we giving them both grace and truth? And I think that's something important for us to do, especially when these are impacting so many people. I feel like a lot of times when it doesn't impact us, we, we can tend to have more of a heartless viewpoint about it, just to be blunt. And I think it's a lot harder to empathize with issues that don't uh, affect us firsthand. And so because of that, we're able to have this uh, heartless viewpoint to where we're not even considering how this is going to affect certain people. And I think when we are really trying to empathize with every single people group who are going to be affected by a decision, by a piece of legislation, by a person being elected, then that really informs more about our politics. And I love that they say that it just requires us to be knowledgeable. It requires us to be knowledgeable. And I think a lot of times we're just so busy with life that we're just going to vote how we've always voted or we are just going to stand for things that we've always stood for when in reality we need to constantly be digging in and digging through all of the muck and the news and everything like that so that we can make one the 
most informed decision, but also be able to really look through all of these things through the lens of scripture and to make the the best decision possible. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like that's a really challenging idea. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit more in, um, one of the later points with localized, but just this idea that we as Christians should be maybe even more knowledgeable about what's happening in the world around us, about social needs, um, because it's our calling to care for others. Um, and I don't, I don't think it's something we're really excelling at on the whole. I know I'm not, and that's definitely a desire to, to see more of that in my life and something for me to work towards. So moving on to point number four, which is reframe and outflank. Much of the vitriol in our national political conversation is exacerbated by cable news, social media, and their framing power to put some issues on our radar while ignoring others. As a result, citizens who rely on mass media for political information are beholden to someone else's agenda and priorities, and Christians are no exception. Christians must think outside cultural frameworks and outflank current political considerations. For instance, almost no national politician has addressed easy access pornography, no-fault divorce laws, or foster care abuses. Mass media have co-opted our imaginations such that we can't even imagine issues and solutions outside the way the discussion is already framed. Christians must maneuver around the established boundaries of political discourse and engage important issues defined by scripture. I think for me, this is one of the hardest things for me to do just because of how much and how many things are thrown into our face, making them more important than other things. I think as a Christian, we can come at these issues from a really interesting perspective. That perspective being starting all the way back with how we view sin. Sin, we believe, is no greater than any other sin. Murder is the same as stealing. Adultery is the same as putting a God before the Lord Jesus Christ. And so because of that, I think that should impact how we view other issues that arise in society, our churches, and in our home lives. It's one of those things where It's really hard for us to do because we as humans tend to care for certain things. Like I said earlier, we tend to care for things that hit home more than they do hit home for other people. But in reality, all of these issues are just as important as the next. And I think it's important to understand that and to not let that overwhelm us, but to help that inform us. I think what they're saying about These things like easy access porn, no-fault divorce laws, foster care abuses, even sex trafficking. All of these things oftentimes just get pushed under the rug of racial division, abortion, immigration. All of those, uh, I would say, high trigger words. And the reality of all of these things are they are just as important as the next issue because of how we view sin as Christians. Because of how we view the importance of And the gravity of every single one of those sins in our life, it should affect how we view all of these things. I feel like it can get a little intimidating at times uh, when we don't have a clear authority, a clear national figure 
spearheading um, what direction we need to go to solve uh, these issues that aren't getting national attention. And we as everyday people can feel like, oh, who am I to start solving these issues? I don't have knowledge on this. I don't have the authority to speak on this. But I think that there is really something to be said for if you have a desire placed on your heart, if if you can't get this this thing out of your head um, and that God is constantly calling you back to empathize, to have a heart for a certain people group um, or a certain issue that breaks his heart, that is breaking your heart, um, we know that he calls and he also equips us to handle those things and that it's our daunting responsibility to step out in faith and start taking action, to start informing ourselves on what we can do um, and prayerfully considering what God has in store for us and our calling. I just want to take a second to pause and let you know about another podcast you can check out if you're enjoying this medium of learning and maybe you have a long drive, planning a road trip coming up, and you're wanting to get some downloads in before you go. And uh, my recommendation for you this week is Made for This with Jenny Allen. Uh, Made for This is a podcast of short, fun, well, sometimes fun, sometimes heavy, real conversations about the struggles we're facing and the God that sets us free. Jenny releases two episodes a week, usually with one on teaching and one that's an interview. And right now she's walking through a series called Undone with a wide range of topics dealing with what we're struggling with and wrestling with during 2020. Things like shame, doubt, and coping, and all kinds of relatable things. So there's some great perspective to be gleaned from her. And if anything, it's just nice to know we're not struggling with these things alone. I'm myself and have just gotten to the episode on coping and getting a lot out of it. So I encourage you to check out the Made for This podcast with Jenny Allen. Okay, next point. The fifth is localize. Another powerful effect of mass media is the natural orientation toward the bubbles of New York City or Washington, D.C., making national politics the dominant subject of coverage and the lens through which all politics is engaged. Yet politics at the local level arguably affects our lives way more. In Catholic social teaching, the principle of subsidiarity claims that political issues should be resolved at the level of social organization most consistent with the problem. In other words, local problems should have a local solution, not a state one. State problems should have a state solution, not a national one. And we urge evangelicals to know their locals and to care about local political issues just as much as or more than national ones. You cannot love what you do not know. Local politics is a missional sweet spot for churches that can make real, peaceful, and lasting difference in their communities. For instance, my, that would be Dave's, own church is often involved in meeting the needs of our local school board as they request help in various school initiatives. I think that going this this point five of localize really hits home with this point four of reframe and outflank. That what social media has done, what Twitter, Facebook has done 
is to make every single thing national and uh, national news. And it's made it really hard for us to focus on the things happening right here in our own community. But more than ever, especially as the big C church, the God's people, it is up to us to create change. And I think a lot of times we think that that change is going to have to start on this mass scale of massive revivals and national change and legislation and presidential elections. When in reality, the most change that we can impact through a Christ-centered lens is right here in our own community, is with the three people that you come in contact with continually at your work that you don't sometimes talk to, or people that you see at restaurants that you don't normally talk to, or, or just those types of people with those types of issues that are here in our community that oftentimes get so overlooked because of the, of the, the prominence of, of national politics and national news. I love this point that you cannot love what you do not know. I think as we are called to one, love God, and two, love others, we then are called to know God, to learn more about Him, to search scriptures and read books and listen to podcasts. Congrats, you're doing that right now. To know more about who God is. But the second is that we can't truly love someone if we do not know them, if we don't know what's going to affect them, if we don't know what's going to hurt them, if we don't know how they feel loved, then how could we ever love them? I think it's a really important thing for us as Christians to, one, love God first because that sets the framework for every other person that we love, but two, to really love others by getting to know them, by making relationships. And when we're doing that, then we can really create this change and we can really help people get to Jesus. If you've been listening to this and wondering if you maybe need to get plugged into community, this is, I hope this is really hidden home <laughs> and, and driving why it's, it's so important to engage in community and, and not just any community, but a diverse one with uh, people of different backgrounds and perspectives that you can love and trust and have difficult conversations with to progress yourself um, and to make better the world around us. I know I brought this up with Nathan recently, but there's a, a class at AU called Leadership in, in Ministry. And in it, one of the, the subjects we covered for those of us going into church work was um, when you're starting a church, when you're coming up with your mission and vision statement of what you want your church to be about, you don't start with what a church is doing three states away and seeing what's drawing in the most people. No, you go out into your community and you see what issues are facing your people, the people that you want to engage, and you start working towards providing a solution for those issues. It's so simple, but it's so powerful. And it's what we as Christians are called into, to love our neighbors, to engage in our community. That's such a hot word here at Illuminate. We use it every week, but that's what it's all about. We, we want you to not just exist in Anderson, South Carolina. We want you to live in Anderson, South Carolina. And now if you're listening to this and you're not in Anderson, we want you to also be living and engaging in your community where you find yourself out now, not just pining for something else, but making the most of where God has placed you today. And so our last point, number six, is be joyful. I don't know about you, but just seeing that title, 
makes me feel a lot better knowing that we've covered a lot of heavy stuff today. But number six, be joyful. Dour is the mood and unimaginative the tone when it comes to mainstream political rhetoric. Pundits of every persuasion insist on the seriousness of the times. But does this necessitate being mean-spirited and boring? (laughs) For Christians, there is a holy frivolity born of the Spirit. When the early Christians were beaten and rejected, their political response was to ignore the injunctions against them and then rejoice. Acts 5.41 says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. No matter how serious the issues Christians face, let's be joyful people in our public witness, avoiding the gloom and doom posture that so characterizes much in political discourse. Because of Christ's death and resurrection, after all, we have a living hope. First Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We should carry it in our very countenance. I love the fact that this article ends on this last point to be joyful. As was preached about the past couple of Sundays of this hope that we have, it is so important for us to constantly have this joyful attitude. And to know that this joyful attitude does not come through the circumstances of our life, but in the person of Jesus. I think when we have that truth and when we are really living in that truth that Jesus is Lord, he is sitting on the throne, whether we make him Lord or not, when we are living our life in light of that, joy comes to us. It's hard to find joy a lot of times in the midst of all of this. With the craziness of 2020 and with this upcoming election, I think it can be really easy to get bogged down in the political discourse, like it said, and to really really feel hopeless at times because of the attitude of our nation. No, I feel like the attitude around our country right now is that of despair and hopelessness. And I think that as Christians, we can empathize with that and we can even feel that pain. But we have a joy because we belong to another kingdom. That no matter how bad things get here, yes, we can feel that pain. Yes, yes, we can be uh, depressed at times. We can do all those things. But we have this eternal, unshakable joy in Jesus and his death and resurrection that we can carry throughout every single moment of our life. And that provides this hope for us throughout any single one event or person that would maybe try to shake that hope. Yeah, I love that you pointed out that it doesn't mean we're not going to experience those bad feelings of um, just kind of being depressed or sad or or hurting for people at times. But um, I think that we get to sit in the relief that we aren't called into happiness. Um, I think that there is a huge distinction between uh, joy and happiness and that as scripture outlines, joy is a gift from God um, and that there's nothing we can do to achieve that on our own works. And that's something to celebrate. uh, Whereas happiness is maybe something we can manipulate, Um, but we aren't called into happiness. We're called into joy being 
content um, in who God is, what he's done and what he's doing, um, and hopeful for the future, knowing that he's working all things out for our good. This is a really important thing for us as Christians to work through. I would encourage you to go look for this article. It's called Six Ways Christians Can Be Wiser in Political Engagement from the Gospel Coalition. It's by Case Thorpe and Dave Strunk. And it, they just do a really good job of framing this for us so that we ourselves can make informed decisions and devote our conscience and then also just to bring it back to the gospel and who Jesus is. So uh, thank you guys so much for joining us today. Yeah, we really appreciate your support, um, listening week after week, sharing this with your friends, um, giving us your feedback and encouragement. And we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at Nathan at HopeAndAnderson.com or Hannah at HopeAndAnderson.com letting us know your thoughts, what you might like to hear in the future episodes, or even if you have a story you'd like to share. Have a great week. We love you all.